So Matt and I decided on, on three dates, and then I needed to begin the quest. Three messages. Are there any biblical themes that involve the number three? And king of the obvious that I am, I wondered if God might be nudging me to think more about himself in all of his amazing triuneness. So I bounced the idea off Matt to do a Trinity series, which he affirmed, but my first attempt at a God the Father message uh, was upended by a freakish afternoon snowstorm. A few weeks later, 32 dedicated evening attenders heard this message, which has since undergone some significant editing. But if you were there last year and you have a fabulous memory, some of it will be familiar. As you might have already guessed, the second and third sermons in that series never happened because COVID-19 and the evening service uh, turned out not to be a very good combination. So over the next three weeks, I look forward to exploring God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit with you, or as we conclude in a favorite hymn, God in three persons, blessed Trinity. Before we read our text, I believe it's important to look briefly at two false teachings, two heresies regarding the nature of God. And they both show up in ways that we attempt to understand the, min the mystery of the Trinity. To begin, try to remember how someone explained Trinity to you, or maybe some of us parents try to explain Trinity to our children uh, as young ones. One that I remember went something like this. Think of a man you know. He is a father and a businessman and a basketball player, but still the same man. Now that was helpful for me as a young boy to begin to grasp the mystery of the three in one. But in the end, that view is an example of modalism. The idea that one God operates in three different modes depending on the occasion. And modalism ultimately falls short of the three persons of the Trinity. Remember what happens when Jesus gets baptized? God the Son gets wet. God the Holy Spirit descends like a dove. And God the Father announces that he is pleased with his Son. This is now one God in three modes at different times. This is one God in three persons at the same time. Another childhood explanation of the Trinity, again helpful to get young minds thinking about three and one, but again ultimately false, involves a pie or a pizza. How many pizzas are there in the illustration? One. But it is one cut into three pieces. So one and three at the same time. The problem with this illustration though is that it makes each person of the Trinity one-third God rather than fully God, leading to a false teaching called tritheism, three separate or somehow lesser gods. Next time the Mormons visit, they may explain their tritheistic view of the Godhead, that God the Father was a man who then became God, then through some mysterious union with a holy mother, all of our pre-mortal spirits were born, and the firstborn of those spirits was Jesus, who later took on flesh, long after some spirits and long before ours. They also believe in a separate being they call the Holy Ghost, who remains a spirit, but one day may still take a body. The reason Mormons do not use the word Trinity is because they are tritheistic. 
the three members of their Godhead emerging at different times in history, but whom they believe became unified along the way. So modalism is strong on the one, but weak on the three. And tritheism is strong on the three, but weak on the one. And what is behind both of those false teachings? It's the human longing. It's my longing to be able to understand God fully. Because deep down, like Adam and Eve, we sinfully want some sort of equal status with God. Ultimately, though, there is mystery. How one God can be three persons at the same time, each person coexistent and co-eternal with the other, and each of them fully God. So why should we even try to understand him? Why take up so much time on perfectly good Sunday mornings to think about someone we can never fully grasp? Well, this incredibly vast, marvelous God chooses to make us in his image. And he chooses to reveal much about himself in order for us to know him in relationship. So over three Sundays, and before, during, and after, I invite you to explore with me our amazing God. Francis Chan writes, the point is not to completely understand God, but to worship him. Let the very fact that you cannot know him fully lead you to praise him for his infiniteness and grandeur. If that was too much doctrine in not enough time, I apologize. But we will do a little more uh, with the doctrine of the Trinity as the series continues. And if anyone wants to go deeper or ask questions, please feel free to shoot me an email or give me a call at church. I love to listen and learn and write about this stuff. Uh, but with that as our long introduction, let's read together our text from Luke 15, beginning in verse 11. And in your pew Bibles, that's page 849. Luke chapter 15, beginning with verse 11. Page 849 in your pew Bibles. And I will refer to the text a few times during the message, so feel free to keep your Bibles open unless you have it memorized, then you can consult it that way. Verse 11, Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his field to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. 
Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him, what was going on? Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. This is the word of God. To begin, the first verse of our text reveals some of the context because it begins, Jesus continued. There was a man who had two sons. So what was Jesus continuing? The NIV Bible gives each of the three parables in Luke 15 a lost heading. First, a lost sheep. Then, a lost coin. In these two, neither the sheep nor the coin plays an active role, but both are lost. Then the shepherd leaves the 99 sheep to search for and find the one sheep that is lost. And a woman who loses one of her 10 coins lights a lamp and carefully searches for and finds the coin. In both parables, after what is lost is found, both the shepherd and the woman call their friends and neighbors together to celebrate. And Jesus teaches that there are similar celebrations in heaven whenever a sinner repents. There's great rejoicing when what is lost gets found, especially when the what's are people. In both parables, we learn that God pursues, that God finds, and that God invites others into celebration. The third in the series of lost stories, the one we just read, has much more detail. It's twice as long as the other two combined. And most of us know it by a different name. Not the lost son, but the prodigal son. Though you won't find prodigal in the synonyms category in Jeopardy for the word lost. Like some of you, I thought a prodigal was a wanderer or maybe a wayward sinner. But prodigal actually refers to lavish spending. And in the case of the younger son in our text, the lavish spending was downright wasteful. And that is at least a little bit offensive to people like us. But his offensive behavior begins long before his bad spending habits. At the beginning of the parable, he makes a request that is hard to fathom. The younger son in verse 12 said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So the father divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. The younger son's share may have only been half of what his older brother would inherit, but even a one-third to two-thirds ratio was substantial. And as a share of the estate, it almost certainly involved land and cattle, so in order for the younger son to leave with all that he had, he would have had to sell off his share which would have been humiliating to the father, seeing some of his land and cattle suddenly under new ownership. 
and his son leaving with the prophets. At this point, the father does not seem very wise or even like a very good father because any adult who has lived a little could have predicted what would happen to someone so selfish in the distant country. And that is exactly what did happen. Prodigal behavior, lavish, wasteful spending, uh, resulting in lots of friends until the money ran out about the same time a famine struck the land. And then as the friends disappeared, the prodigal's primary social, social circle became the pigs he was feeding. And that prompts his wish to return home as a servant to his dad. So he rehearses his apology many times over on his journey home, never anticipating the welcome he will get. And in one of my favorite words uttered by Forrest Gump, this welcome involves running. Yes, the father who in my mind should still be somewhat bitter and who then sees a son in the distance should wait in some version of an I told you so posture. But instead, he chooses to run to his son. We can be sure that he's not wearing shorts or sweatpants when he makes this very undignified dash to his son, clad in some manner of inner and outer robed garments, but we can sense at least some of his joy. For this father does not care about dignity or about what any observers might think. This father simply loves his son, as he always has. And to this dad, the party that follows feels like the only appropriate way to celebrate his return. For some of us here this morning, and some of us watching at home, that is the Father God that you know. Maybe your prodigal years involve lavish spending of money and time on very obvious sinful behaviors. Or maybe they were somewhat more private, but somehow, some way along the way, maybe with the help of a human who modeled God's love to you, or maybe you simply hit rock bottom and heard the voice of God calling you to himself. Or maybe another way, you have experienced this amazing, unconditional love of your heavenly father. And because of that, what was dead became alive. And you woke up this morning and will wake up tomorrow morning with the idea that because of the Lord's great love, I am not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. End of story. End of sermon. Right? Well, no. The party for the prodigal is not a small, quiet gathering. In fact, as the older son approaches from the field, he can hear the music and dancing. I love that he can hear the dancing. I can't dance. An oak tree on a non-windy day has more moves than I do. But if I could dance, I would try to dance loud. He can hear the dancing. So when he asks what's going on, a servant tells him the good news. His brother has returned. And if you are or were one of the good kids growing up, especially if you went to church twice every Sunday at your local Christian Reformed church and drank your first beer at age 30. It's a good story. This is not good news. In fact, it is offensive. Like the older son in the story, we don't understand why the younger son gets such an immediate, lavish celebration. And the older son is so offended that he won't even go inside. So his father goes outside to meet him. 
a conversation that is crucial to what Jesus is trying to teach. Tim Keller writes, neither son loved the father for himself in the beginning. They both were using the father for their own self-centered ends rather than loving, enjoying, and serving him for his own sake. This means that you can rebel against God and be alienated from him either by breaking his rules or by keeping all of them diligently. It's a shocking message. Careful obedience to God's law may serve, doesn't necessarily serve, but may serve as a strategy for rebelling against God. The first two verses of Luke 15, if you go all the way back to the beginning of the chapter, read like this. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Near the end of our story this morning, the tax collectors and sinners are thrilled because the story of the prodigal son is their story. And they love the ending of the great celebration. Of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, and at least a few of us, identify more with the older son. And deep down, we want at least a few more harsh and negative consequences for the younger son for his bad behavior. And shouldn't our good behavior our moral choices, our hard work, be worth much more than what the younger son has done by simply returning home? Tax collectors and sinners and other prodigals then and now love the message of God's amazing grace in this story. Pharisees and teachers of the law then and now deep down want to earn at least a little of our salvation by our good behavior. Because that means that we can also justify judging the bad behaviors of others. And so many of the religious people of Jesus' day, and many religious people ever since, including some people who go to church every Sunday, have faced the same decision the older brother does. Do I understand and accept and even celebrate the reason for the party? The prodigal son did not deserve the party. And that is exactly the point. He got what he did not deserve. He got grace. Not because he deserved it, but because he understood his need for it. And that's what love does. The love of God the Father. Praise God that we get what we do not deserve. Some of us wrestle with the idea of a father who loves like that because we have had difficult relationships with our earthly fathers. And if you are still wrestling, I invite you to bring that battle to God himself. And there you will find an even more patient and more loving father than the one who is pleading with his older son to come to the party at the end of this parable. Even though the older son never left home, he still needs to understand and accept the love of his father and the love his father has for his younger brother. And that love does not depend upon their performance. And what does the father desire in return? As much as he appreciates his older son's loyalty, it is not a substitute for love. Loyalty to God should be an expression of our love for him, not a substitute for our love for him. In the end, the older son needs to decide if he loves his dad. I'm the very proud dad of daughters ages 13, 15, 17 and 18 and when they were very young we used to visit my grandfather at Sunset Manor 
And sometimes we would bring him to Russ's for dinner, fried chicken, mashed potatoes, and corn. He was living on the edge. He sometimes went with the light gravy over the dark gravy. Shortly after he re returned from Asia once, I, I went with the fried chicken, but I went with the rice pilaf and some broccoli. I don't think my grandfather ever forgave me for that egregious, sinful Russ's behavior. But once while at Russ's, one of my toddler daughters burped this very odd noise in the middle of the meal, which made us all laugh. But later, after we, after we dropped off my grandpa, we learned that the burp had been sort of a preview to something far more dramatic. When a much louder version of the same noise came from the back seat, I looked back to see not only her Russ's meal, but pretty much everything she had eaten her entire life launched from her sweet mouth directly down the front of her. So I quickly pulled into a parking lot, unbuckled her from her car seat, and lifted her out of the car adding a gentle shake to get the worst of the nastiness off from there. And then I just held her close. Not because that was pleasant or fun, but because that is what she needed. And then I looked at her car seat, which still held the lake of her own vomit. And I simply could not return her to that. So I wiped her off on me as best I could, gently laid her in the lap of a sister, then looked for a cup or something to scoop out the mess. I couldn't find anything and dearly wanted to get them all home. So I did what good parents do. And every good parent in this room has a story like this. I put my hands together like this and scooped out her vomit. Not because it was fun or easy, but because I love my daughter. And I could not stand the thought of her sitting in that mess. After the first human sinned, God could not stand the thought of leaving us, his children, in our depravity. In the messes we create for ourselves, the messes that others create for us, and the messes that are simply woven into this broken side of eternity. So he did something that was far more amazing than scooping out vomit from a car seat. And if too much of this message for us who relate to the old brother has felt like bad news, Please do not miss this very good news. In fact, in the words of the band, Mercy Me, it's the best news ever. Our Heavenly Father did not want to leave us alone to die. And he knew as soon as sin entered the universe that there would be only one way out of our mess. Only one way to salvation and restored relationship. So he made a plan, a master plan that meant choosing his son to die rather than live without us. And that doesn't make sense apart from love, God's love. The prodigal son did not get what he deserved. He got a party instead because his father loved him. And all those who accept God's amazing grace as the only way to salvation get what we do not deserve. Not only eternity with him, but also the ability to be in relationship with him on this broken side of eternity. And when we begin to grasp what that cost God our Father, the very life of his forever son who then conquered death, we begin to see that there is another prodigal in Jesus' story, another lavish spender, God the Father himself. 
And the Father in this parable points to this, our Heavenly Father, who loves us so lavishly, so passionately, so unconditionally, that He gives us what we do not deserve. And that truly is amazing grace. As the praise team makes their way back up, if you feel like you are holding back like the older son, maybe that your loyalty to your heavenly father should be enough, or if you deep down know that it isn't, that to be all in and truly to respond to his love with your best loving heart and soul and mind and strength might be more than you can offer. Or maybe you are in a prodigal son life season when you simply don't feel worthy of a relationship with a loving father. I have one more picture for you. When my daughter was sitting in her own vomit in that car seat, she had no way out, apart from the father whom she knew loved her. I jumped out of our van, opened the back seat door, and popped her car seat buckle, and then with my hands extended all the way to her, I did this. And she, like she had done a thousand times before, did this. This morning, our Heavenly Father comes all the way to us, having made the way through the perfect sacrifice of His Son, and with a perfect love does this. And our best broken, loving response to Him is this. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your gift of life, for your gift of this day. Thank you, Father God, for your amazing, unconditional, passionate love for broken, undeserving people like this, like us. Jesus, thank you so much for the gift of yourself and spirit of the living God as we celebrate you two here this morning. Try and God, thank you so much for choosing to be in relationship first with each other, and now with us. God, may we celebrate you. May we celebrate relationship with you in the rest of this your day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.